You're listening to Tony Mark with The Art of Wellness on PeachRadio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Art of Wellness on PeachRadio.com. Today, it's a very exciting day in studio because we're introducing part of our new format. And that format is... Um, a returning guest uh, that we've had on, on air before, Miriam Verity, she's going to be educating us on financial wellness. Uh, you've heard me speak on several occasions about uh, the wellness umbrella and all the things that it covers. And um, Miriam is is such a, a, an expert in that field uh, that uh, she's not here to give us financial advice per se, but she's here to help us break down some of the jargon and the terms that you read and hear about every day uh, in the financial world. And um, we've passed it by a few people and they've, they're, they're all excited because they're saying that um, we hear these, uh, these uh, topics every day and we don't understand half of it. So Miriam, uh, we had great feedback from her uh, two um, appearances on the show before. So now she's going to be a returning guest on the show. So Miriam, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tony. It's or good I should, to be back. I should say welcome back. So, you know, you're here with us because, as I said, the feedback has been so great. Um, but uh, I wanted to, to, to introduce this segment. And um, it's, it's about the digital currency. And it's so timely uh, with, with all the things that are going on in the world today. Uh, you just came back from a trip from London. What did you notice uh, in, when you were in London? Well, I'll talk about one thing in particular. I went into a coffee shop and realized they didn't accept debit. Uh, they didn't accept cash. And I was shocked by that. I'd never been in a coffee shop where they didn't accept cash. It was debit or credit only. And then when I was coming back on Air Canada, it was the same thing. Even if you wanted a cup of coffee, you needed to give them no cash. And finally, I came back to Toronto and found there are restaurants here too that no longer, or coffee shops that no longer accept cash. And so the question and discussion today is, are we going to go cash free? Now, Mayor, is, is this, is, is, the day, is the day coming uh, when... W we're getting rid of cash altogether? Well, all I know is this. There's a race going on right now between the high-tech firms and the financial institutions, and they're trying to establish um, a, a way of doing that. And they feel that that will be the ultimate time saver so that in the future you will either order and pay or both through your smartphone. And IBM in particular is working on biometric data, which means they'll be able to scan your eye so that it, because that's something that can't be copied in order to, to make sure that the right person is using the phone. So are you so what are the advantages because with with everything you know we we're being sold uh, uh usually the good but what are the advantages of having a, a um a cashless society let's say Well one of them particularly in the case of restaurants is they argue it's more hygienic Have you ever heard of underwear cash No I haven't Well 
In Australia, there was a coffee shop on a beach. This was a hot, humid beach, and people would come in sweaty, and they would pull their cash out of either their bra or their underwear. (laughs) And this was one of the first places to go cash-free. Okay, so now I was wondering what that meant, but now I understand. Also, it could be more efficient. It means that people don't have to sit there and count cash. People don't have to go to the bank and deposit cash. It's more convenient. You can tap or wave. Um, Eventually, you might not even need credit cards or debit cards, just your phone. Security, you can shut down the phone remotely. So those are some of the um, advantages. Okay, so I have to ask, what are the drawbacks? Because there must be. Well, there are some big ones. For example, in the case of the customer, what if your phone dies? And then what about privacy? Uh, With biometrics, somebody is getting something very personal to you, your eye scan. Can it be misused? From the point of view of business, there are also some big drawbacks. Somebody could hack into the owner's account and take the money. And of course, the other big problem is what if the system goes down? Then what does the business owner do? Shut down? So it's, it, um, you know, with the, the amount of uh, reading that I've done on, on this uh, topic, uh, I know the day is also coming where you mentioned that the what if you lose your phone, but what about the chip under your skin? You know, they're doing that with animals right now and so on. That can definitely be uh, in, in our future also when it comes to, to payment. Well, I think more people would be grossed out by having a chip under your skin. So I don't see that one in the near future. Well, you know, it's uh, you never discount um, what uh, technology can do. But Mir, yeah. something that has interested me uh, quite a bit in the last couple of years is the, the, the Bitcoin um, talk that's been happening. What is Bitcoin? Well, in order to make it simple, the only thing you really need to know about Bitcoin is that it's not backed by a government. So if you live in a country where you don't trust the government, where there are issues of corruption, then it's a way of individuals doing business with each other and bypassing the currency. But in a place like Canada, I don't see a particular use for it. And it isn't necessarily part of the digital economy. So Bitcoin, it's its own currency that that was started in order to do what? um, Where people, you and I, could transact with each other and eliminate the intermediaries. Okay, okay. And has it taken off at all? Or is it, um, you just mentioned Canada may not be the the best place suited for it, but do you see a place for it in the the currency world? Um, There is. As I say, if you live in a country where you can't trust the currency or the government, then it's useful. But any currency that's anonymous also opens itself self up to criminal activities and dishonesty. And that's been the big problem with all these private currencies. Okay. And Mayor, how would you sum up all of this uh, for us? Um, How would I sum it up? Well, if you haven't faced enough change with Google, Facebook, Twitter, we might have another revolution. Are we reaching the new age of a digital currency? 
That was Miriam Verity uh, with our uh, today's um, topic, um, the new age of digital currency, uh, to help us navigate through, through that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back with uh, Dr. Clayman George on the Art of Wellness and PeachRadio.com. Thanks for listening to Peach Radio, streaming from the Peach Gallery in Toronto. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Art of Wellness on PeachRadio.com. Today we have a very special guest in the studio. His name is Dr. Clayman George. Uh, he's a professor of epidemiology at UOIT uh, in uh, Ontario, Canada. And um, he, we have Dr. George in to explain some of the things that, he, um, that he's currently working on. Uh, I found uh, by talking to Dr. George uh, how, how important his work is. Is in in everything that we do, and um, it's it, it it really in, intrigued me you know, when I when I first met him, and um, uh, we had several conversations, and never knew uh, never knowing what he he did for a living, and and he was a fascinating man uh, from the beginning. But uh, I was even more intrigued when I found out what he did. So, Dr. George, welcome to the studio. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, thank you, Tony. Oh, you're quite welcome. Um, Dr. George, can you explain, uh, you have a master's in community health research and epidemiology. Uh, what influenced you to choose those specialties? Uh, Tony, um, you know, after I finished my bachelor's degree, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. So I did a lot of things and a lot of thinking before. One of the things is that I'm all, I've always been interested in um, social justice, in the social determinants of health, in health and wellness, etc. And I noticed that um, there was a need um, for somebody like me, uh, people like me, to get involved more in terms of the uh, scientific uh area of um, you know health and wellness and that is one of the reasons why I got into health and wellness and social justice and um, yeah that is why I got into community-based research and um, epidemiology. It's it's quite fascinating because you know I, I do a lot of research on 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 my topics and and um, you you learn so much as you go along and um, explain what and and why epidemiology is so critical in understanding uh, controlling and and finding cures for diseases. Okay, great. Uh, that's a very important question. Um, one of the things that I always get uh, people get confused about is the term epidemiology. They often think about it as something to do with skin. Well, it's not quite true. Skin yes. is more dermatology. Yes. Epidemiology, think about it as epidemics. So epidemiology is really the study about uh, diseases or conditions, um, illnesses, etc., and their determinants and their distribution in, in populations. So some key facts that you have to think about is um, who is getting infected, when are they getting infected? And, um, you know, you know, what are the factors around that impact them? And that is what epidemiology is all about. Now, epidemiology 
is one of the uh, foundations of uh, public health science. It is something, it is a study, a branch of medicine that helps us to find out what are the factors that um, you know, cause people to, you know, take on certain uh, behaviors uh, that influence the disease outcome. Um, that is really what we're looking about. We're looking at risk factors, etc., cetera, for um, diseases or illnesses. And we also think about uh, surveillance. Surveillance is a huge part of epidemiology. As you know, for example, everybody's talking about Zika. Everybody's yes. talking. Yes. Yeah. So we have to be um, continuously collect data in a systematic fashion, in a systematic way, so that we can determine um, when a disease is uh, reaching epidemic proportion, when it is, um, you know, rising above a level that is normal um, for our population and what we need to do uh, to act towards it. So those are some of the uh, basic foundations. In terms of uh, a cure, we think about... Um, different diseases and we think about cure, we think about uh, clinical medicine, we think about how a drug works for us, etc. Those are all factors that we use epidemiology to study, uh, for example, in clinical trials, etc., to know if one medication is better than another, you know, that sort of things. Those, those are all different um, ways that epidemiology can help us. Well, it, you know, we don't think about you first, but I'm realizing we should think about you first when it comes to the world we live in. Like you help us understand, you know, where things come from, uh, uh, finding cures, and you you have a very important role in in how. On, you just mentioned Zika, for instance, and you know the world. Health organization now said that it's a lot worse than they thought it was, and so on. But you're at the forefront. Your your, your job is to make sure that uh, not only that we're safe, but finding out how can we stop it before it spreads. Yes, and and that is a very critical area. Epidemiology. We are all about first step prevention. We it's very important to prevent something from happening because there are various costs involved in having a disease or a condition. There are social costs, but there are also economic costs, etc. So we have to think about all of these um, factors um, in preventing. Preventing is, you know, as your mom used to say, uh, prevention is, is better than cure. Well, yes, it is better than cure. Yeah. And what um, what is the community-based research? Because that's when you have a, a, your master's in community-based research. And why is it so important that um, uh, researching something such as complex as, as AIDS and, and, and so on, uh, it starts with what you do? Great. That is another very important area because um, in H HIV research, well, first of all, I should tell you what community-based research is. Yes. Community-based research is basically working with um, people um, who are affected or impacted by a disease or illness and get, making them be the leader in determining how they would like to have that illness dealt with. It is something about um, helping individuals know how to react to certain things 
and to help them gain that freedom, that power within themselves to take ownership of something and deal with it. So it's all about community engaging, engaging individuals first, forming partnership um, and ensuring that we develop trust in order for us to understand and get around um, a disease or illness. So something like HIV and AIDS, which is very, very much important. As you know, um, there is so much stigma involved in HIV and AIDS. Therefore, many people do not want to deal with the uh, infection or, or infectious. Um, so one of the things is that we ensure in community-based research, we worked with people to m create and understanding that they are part of the solution to the, the problem and that we are there with them to guide them, to help them get around um, to the end in terms of, um, you know, better outcome. And that is where community-based research really plays a part. It is not you or us and them, it's we are working together. That is the beauty of uh, community-based research. Dr. George, your, your, your last answer led me directly to my next question, uh, which is uh, how HIV um, has affected every group and nationality uh, and community on our planet. Um, but there are two two groups that has, have been hit especially hard, the gay community and the black community. Your research on, has focused on those communities. What are some of the things that have contributed to those communities being hit and affected so hard by this disease? I, I think that is a very good question. And I believe this is a, a very important area. As you remember in the early days, HIV was said to affect uh, so, some groups, the H's, the Haitians, the hemophiliacs, and the homosexuals. And because of that reason, um, there wasn't really much of a public buy-in into the disease. So we didn't have much of our health or social sector buying into the disease. Therefore, it was left for to these groups to really work on it on themselves and by themselves. Now, you remember that also one of the things is HIV is spread mostly in communities through, you know, um, intravenous drug use and sex. Those topics are two topics that are usually very taboo in communities in areas because of the, um, because of the idea that uh, these diseases are immoral, that these behaviors, the behaviors around these diseases are immoral. And therefore, um, people tend not to want to be, um, part of the solution in terms of, uh, um, getting help or curing the disease. So there was a lot of stigma or there still is a lot of stigma around HIV. And because in the early days, um, we did not, gay men did not know very much about condom use because condom use was something that was used within the, the, the role of, uh, prevention for, uh, as contraceptives. contraceptives yeah. Yes. And, um, Basically, that wasn't practiced very often. So because of that and because of the types of sex that gay men have, which I believe is normal sex, uh, these um, individuals were able to transmit the disease from one person to the other. And this is how it spread within the community, uh, communities, the gay communities. 
One of the things uh, with with HIV in black communities is that uh, because of the stigma, because HIV affected homosexual men, we as black people thought of it as this is not our disease. This is somebody else's issue. Also, remember that, especially in North America, black people face many um, other issues such as um, racism, lack of housing, poor job prospects, etc. And why would we take on another disease, another issue, on top of all the other issues that we have? Therefore, many people did not um, heed to the call that this was a problem within the communities. You also had um, men and women within these communities saying that this is not our disease, therefore we can go on as usual, having sex as usual, or doing it drugs as usual, um, without having to worry about it, because it was not part of our communities, not part of our issue. So all of this allowed this disease to go on for a lot longer. Uh, and this is where epidemiology and someone like yourself was able to get into the communities and community-based research to help solve the problem. That is very correct. Using the science and coming back to people and saying that, yes, this is a science, but here, let's take it from your perspective. Tell us what is your priority. Yes, the disease is also a priority scientifically, but what is your, what are your priority? And let's work with your priority and with the disease and come to a solution. That is what community-based research is about in, in getting, um, people to understand and empower themselves in protecting their own lives. Now, Dr. George, I want to take a short break and come back and, and talk to you because, you know, we, you're, you're, I loved your explanation and I, I led into this question it was um you know how how this disease uh hiv aids and 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 so on has affected everybody and uh, you know part of part of it is also in in canada here you know indigenous population is also affected by by this and you know uh, a lot of the 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 things that are going on so i'd like to talk to you a little bit more about that and then come back on your focus and how you got to uh uh, your research and, and help us understand it a little bit more We'll be right back on The Art of Wellness on PeachRadio.com. You're listening to Peach Radio, streaming from the Peach Gallery in Toronto. Welcome back to The Art of Wellness on PeachRadio.com. Once again, um, Professor Doctor, PhD, uh, Doctor um, Clayman George is is with us, and I wanted to to delve in a little bit deeper into uh, how uh, um, HIV/AIDS has affected uh, certain communities um, uh, in 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 our city, in our country, um, and uh, the the two groups that we focused on before, the gay community and the black community, but also part of it is the indigenous community, and I'm noticing a pattern because it, it you know socioeconomic factors play a big part in how diseases spread also. And uh, you had mentioned uh, briefly uh, the, the indigenous community also being affected by, by HIV AIDS. Um, with your research, and, and I know you're, you're community-based uh, research, um, but it, can you lend a, a little bit more on, on how our indigenous population has been affected by this also? 
Great, thank you, Tony. Um, I cannot talk on behalf of Indigenous peoples of Canada, but I, I do have some ideas and um, experience um, in discussing about diseases and the general social uh, socio determinants of health. Indigenous populations have been affected by HIV mainly uh, through many of the factors that have affected, um, you know black communities or the gay communities, etc. One of the things on a pure um, epidemiological perspective is, you know, unprotected sex or uh, intravenous drug use. However, to get to the root of the problem, we cannot focus on just the mode of transmission. We have to go further into looking at why are people at risk for our some may say putting themselves at risk, but that's not true. Why are people at risk for these, um, these diseases or infections? And this is some of the things. Many of the problems that indigenous people face today, such as lack of housing, discrimination in society, our inability as Canadians to look at indigenous ways of doing things and, um, creating um, space for indigenous people are parts of the fundamental issues that make them, um, you know, put them at risk for diseases. Even recently, we, we heard that just yesterday, we've been hearing about the um, suicides that's been occurring in indigenous communities. And this is because of our inability to allow indigenous people to think about diseases within their own um, ways of doing things from a historical point of view and using those methods that they are accustomed to and are familiar with and dealing with some of the issues that um, we as Canadians have often neglected, um, you know, in terms of the, 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 the trauma of residential schooling, etc. All of these things put people at risk and we have to look into these factors to get to the root of solving the HIV epidemic. So, so what what you're saying too is is you know with your your fact based research and knowing what other cultures are doing, it's the best way to come together and to help them determine and and and, and solve their own problems. Is is that part of what I'm what I'm hearing? I I, th I think yes. Uh, one of the things is that. Although we cannot say copycat um, one research and a one way of doing things into another community, we can surely learn lessons from other communities and using those lessons as a template, work with indigenous people to come to solutions that are unique to indigenous people to solve the issues because it has to be from indigenous people's perspective. They have to be at the forefront of solving the, the issues, the disease, etc. That is important. 
Okay, well, you know, that that is uh, um, uh, uh, hopefully, you know, whether it's the government or the um, uh, the the local practices, they can they can talk to someone like yourself, because to me, you've answered a, a whole bunch of questions that I've had on what's going on, because that is as recent as you get with um, with with uh, the different populations. So it's, um, you know, uh, Dr. Clement, you you're um, you have also taught health and wellness. So it's not just epidemiology. You've taught health and wellness at UIT. Um, how are, are young kids embracing uh, uh, health and wellness? And when I say young kids, I mean university um, uh, uh, kids. Uh, are they embracing embracing health and wellness? Uh, do you find that it, they're, they're open to the idea? The the idea of health and wellness, I think, is, is well received among um people in Canada, including young people. But at the university level, um, you know, uh, pedagogically, it is seen as just a stepping stone to get to another level. So many kids um, or many young people see it as a course that is based on um, information that is out there that is not really important for them to live their lives. But, um, but I think that in general, they are still interested in their pers personal health and wellness. But just as um, as an academic topic, it's it's a little bit uh, difficult to 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 understand and explain as an academic topic to put it into reality of people's lives. So what you're saying is just not sexy enough for them. No, it's not sexy. It is not sexy. <laughs> You know, it, it's, um, you know, with the young population, if it's not something that grabs their attention immediately and have uh, immediate, uh, immediate gratification, they just don't seem uh, to, to, um, to gravitate towards it. You know, you look at it and you say, well, you know, it's something that, uh, that if embraced early enough, you can, you can get so much out of it for, you know, out of it for the, for your, your, the rest of your life. But uh, we also think that we're in the structure indestructible when you were young. So health and wellness is not at the top of our list. That's right. That's right. There are so many priorities right now. So sometimes health and wellness doesn't seem to be exactly that. Well, I hope that course, um, you know, is 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 picked up and, and taught more in the future, because as we all know, uh, it's it's a very, very important topic. Now, uh, uh, doctor, you're also on, on, on a, um, uh, a health board in Durham. It's uh, the Durham Regional uh, Health Sexuality Coalition. What is that uh, that coalition that you lead? OK, probably I'll first of all start with um, I am at the. Um, ACDR, the, um, you know, the AIDS Committee of Durham Region. I'm a board member there. Okay. And I sat on a panel, uh, a group of members, a coalition called the Health Sex Youthality okay. uh, Project. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so, for correcting yes. me. So that project is basically a group of um, public health and social um social uh, service practitioners and health-based individuals and um, community people who've come together knowing that sexuality and sexual health among young people is often difficult. And we must find ways, be current in ways of helping young people through in identifying their needs, 
so that we can work with them to um, have the best sexual health outcome. And this is what what is health sex youthality is about okay. sex and youth because that is often a difficult area to deal with well it's um you know that leads to my next question which is you know adolescents and and all and their troubling um uh, uh periods uh in terms of becoming more aware of themselves and wanting to explore their own lives what do you mean um what does this mean for black youth and and the response to hiv uh, uh, how does that um uh, impact uh, um the community one of the things that's happening right now is that we see that there is an increase in HIV prevalence among young people, especially black young people, especially black women, young women. So one of the things is that we have to think of ways, innovative ways of getting that message out that HIV is still very much important. Young people, I, as we know, think that they're indestructible. So therefore, and they do want to explore their own ways. Therefore, how do we get that message across when they're no longer seeing people dying of HIV on the streets or dying um, anywhere of HIV as used to happen in the old days? So some of the things that I'm doing is to, I have a project that's looking at um, including parents to, to communicate, to talk with their kids about sex at an early age so that they could become familiar with the, the area of sex and youth so that they can tell them and talk to them about prevention issues. That is very much important. I also have a project that I'm working with another uh, professor in the Bahamas, and we're looking at interventions that we can have with youth and their parents to come together to just know more. Because we see a thing is many of the black youth, their parents are not comfortable in talking about sex. And therefore, um, the schools are also not comfortable many of the teachers are not comfortable about talking about sex so where is that information going to come from the internet as we know right now yeah but there's a lot of good and lots of bad information on the internet type sex in and you might get to a porno site that's yeah. not what you want kids to be looking at so helping parents to um bridge that gap is very very much important um Yes, it's um, now you you um, it does the role of universities and, and schools in a, you just mentioned, you know, teachers are afraid to talk about it. How important is the, 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 the role of schools and universities in particular in the health and wellness of communities? That is a very good question, Tony. Another good question because in the United States, um, many universities have a federal mandate to include the communities and community-based um, work within um, academia. Many of the schools here in Canada, unfortunately, pay lip service to including uh, communities. Communities are often seen as a source of funding, um, a source of, you know, uh, making the universities well placed within society. But often the actual work that we do at universities do not go into 
actual communities. We do not get our hands as professors dirty. Um, way of saying it to um, to work with individuals in community, and I think that universities should allow um, their professors, their lecturers, to work, spend the time get the credits for being with communities, for listening to communities, for getting the community's agenda into universities rather than just us as university professors telling communities what they should and shouldn't do. I think that this is a way that universe, uh, communities can really embrace um, the scientific ideas. If they were allowed to sit with us, not as colleagues, um, and not as just the experts, but because we're all experts in our own way. So we need to hear from communities. We need to sit with them. We need to go to community spaces in order for us to better play, play a very better role, a better role in communities. That is, I think, is an important aspect of universities also. Well, thank you, Dr. George. It, um, we'll be right back on the Art of Wellness um, with Dr. Clement George. This is Peach Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back uh, to uh, the Art of Wellness on PeachRadio.com. Uh, we've had some very deep conversation in in the past, and Dr. Clement George is um, is 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 helping. He's helping us understand uh, what he's researching and what he's studying. And um, so far, I'm now you know filled to the brim with a whole bunch of new information. So I'm I'm really excited. Uh, but uh, at this time in, in in the show, I take the time to find out about our guests and what they do for themselves to keep themselves healthy. And this, I think, is is probably the most important person so far because he's had a, a years and years of research behind him um, and probably knowing too much. So, Dr. George, what do you do to take care of your own personal health? That is a tall question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's, it all starts with a healthy attitude. Uh -huh. And what is a healthy attitude? Trying to have a lighter um, look on, on life, laughing. That is something, not being taken myself too seriously, as one will say. But, but re really, one of the things that I, I think in good nutrition, uh, in the, the uh, morning, I think it's very good to have a good um, good breakfast before going to work. I think it's also very important for me to get outside, get fresh air, whether it's in winter, summer, or spring. I'm out there, especially I have a dog. I take him for a walk, um, take him for half an hour um, walk around the block, take him um, jog a little. That is very important to get um myself moving and my whole for my not just my physical health but also for my mental health also i think is very important i also spent some time at the gym some i think is very important that you know that we be uh, physically active some people may not be able to go to the gym for some reason or the other but that doesn't mean that they cannot go out and take that 20 minutes walk around the block and come back take the stairs those are some of the things that are very important actually today there was something in the paper talking about um diet and 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 um 
you know fats but Good yes fats yes, it, yes yes so the, I, I i although the the um the the uh, paper talked about um you know coming eating fats and and eating less carbs and sugar but um it's still very important to uh think about it as everything in moderation don't go to that swing factor of all the fats or all the carbs. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this is it's so important because you know you're you're dealing with someone who who knows about research. He that's his his life study is is uh, is researching um, you know how to solve problems and solve diseases, cure diseases, and so on. And he just gave you in in about thirty seconds what I try to preach, which is make sure you're active. Um, he mentioned something that we tend to leave out a lot, get outside um, every day, winter, summer, spring or fall. And uh, to make sure that you're 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 doing things in moderation, including your 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 health, your eating habits. So it's, um, you know, I, I find that very interesting because you have summed it up quite well in what we're trying to uh, accomplish with the, the, the art of wellness and um, and and helping people and guiding them and, and, and uh, helping explain. The, the, the things about um, well-being. So, Dr. George Clayman, thank you for being a guest on The Art of Wellness. It was a pleasure having you and um, you're welcome back anytime to, to, to help us uh, understand the, the world of ep epidemiology and um, community-based research. Well, thank you very much, Tony. Thank you for having me and I, w I will be glad to be back at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of The Art of Wellness on PeachRadio.com. See you soon. <laughs>